Hello and welcome to the new episode of Women in Customer Success podcast, the first women-only podcast where remarkable ladies of customer success share their stories and practical tools to help you succeed and make an impact. I'm Maria Skovepile, your host. Today's episode is a real gem. I have the pleasure of talking to Alison Skidmore, Global Head of Customer Success and Renewals at SAP Customer Experience. Alison is one of the most prominent global customer success leaders, with the experience of leading global, diverse and distributed teams for more than a decade. Due to her extensive wealth of knowledge, experience and wonderful personality, she is also one of the sought-after speakers at customer success events. Today's episode is a mini masterclass on return on relationships. How developing your relationship acumen can propel your expertise, career, and personal development. Alison is sharing her model for tracking your network. How can you track the relationship and all the touch points you have with your colleagues, mentors, coaches, and sponsors, and create exponential opportunities for growth? We explore why now is the right time to take a strategic approach to your network and benefit from a return on relationships. It's such a pleasure to welcome Alison Skidmore, Global Head of Customer Success and Renewals at SAP. Hey Alison, it is so nice to finally have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you for having me on. Great to talk to you again. Alison, I'm sure that most of our listeners know you already, but for some who still don't, would you like to introduce yourself to the audience? Give us a bit of your background and the question that people really are interested in, how did you make a move into customer success? I originally started in online marketing. And when I was in university, I studied marketing and international business. I then started first working at an advertising agency in the U.S. doing all sorts of billboard, print, TVC, radio, and I was learning a bit of online advertising, which was new and exciting at the time. Shortly after that, I moved to Australia, where I had studied abroad previously, and I got a job putting ads on Google for an agency. And after about six months, I realized that I really did not like my job. I was putting ads online using Excel and it was very repetitive. And the only day of the week I enjoyed was Thursday when I got to meet with my customers and take them through the optimization, the investment and the strategy. And after a while, um, I was starting to think maybe this wasn't the best role for me in my very early career. Fast forward about a year later, the startup was acquired by Adobe, and I moved over to Adobe right when they were building out the marketing cloud. And I discovered this role called Customer Success Manager, where you talk to customers every single day, pretty much all day, about a lot of different software products. And I thought, wow, that is great. I really enjoy talking to the customers. So this would be a great role for me. This sounds so interesting. That's why I want to jump. When you said, I discovered the role of customer success, I think that's crucial. So how do you go about it? Is it you're having almost random conversation with your colleagues or randomly the article about it pops into? I just wonder because for some people who are so away from customer success, it's not always even easy to bump to it. 
Yes, it's true. Okay. So I had the benefit that because Adobe had acquired our business, they moved us into the Adobe office. And I would encourage, you know, a lot of software companies nowadays build through acquisitions. So I would encourage anyone going through acquisitions, mergers, change to really explore the new business, be an early adopter, get to know the team, get to know the organization, the roles, et cetera. And it was just through chatting to people in the office, asking what they do, or helping them on accounts and engagements that I started to hear about this role. And then I inquired more about it. And then they opened a position. And I will say this was very early when Adobe was establishing customer success and building a best practice. They had a team, but it was still relatively small and they were building really how it is done day to day. But yeah, it was just through networking, good old fashioned talking. Good old fashioned, (laughs) being curious and actually talking to people. (laughs) It doesn't happen so easily and so spontaneously these days. Oh, wow. Okay. That's really a great career lesson. Let's go on. I did interrupt you on that journey. Please continue. Please continue jumping in. So I spent about three years at Adobe building out their customer success team across Asia Pacific, starting first in the mid-market team, which is very scalable, one-to-many approach, and then later taking on the enterprise business as well. It was great diversity of cultures, people. And during those three and a half years, we continued to acquire more businesses and merge them into the organization. So a lot of learning new products. And during the last year I was there, we also built an offshore hub or organization based out of India, who was there to support our CSMs in customer onboarding, enablement, forecasting, QBRs, contact cleanup, And that also introduced me to this idea of how you can scale the business with offshore resources and where you can build supporting functions for your customer success managers so that they can do more strategic value add in the accounts and maybe not spend as much time on the enablement, ticket chasing, contract building, which can take quite a bit of time. After the three and a half years at Adobe, I went to a startup called Stackla where they were churning a significant portion of their revenue and realized they needed to build a customer success team. So I was lucky enough to join as they were establishing that customer success team. And we went through building their best practice, rolling out to Tango to help us manage the accounts, establishing forecasting, QBRs, et cetera. And then after my time at Stackla, I went to another startup called Gigya, where I ran customer success across Asia Pacific as well. And they were a bit more mature. So got an opportunity to do a lot of on the ground engagement with the customers, a lot of value assessments, and a lot of upsell and cross-sell, which was very exciting and drove a lot of revenue for the business. And then shortly after that, Gigio was acquired by SAP. And I moved over to the SAP organization to one of their businesses called the Customer Experience Cloud, which competes with Adobe and Salesforce and other front-end marketing systems and customer experience systems. And then I spent a little bit of time managing their ANZ team and then later their APJ team and most recently their global team for customer success. And during that time, we have acquired another four solutions to merge into the CX space. And I'm also very happy to share that we are also building a global hub function that will have customer onboarding, adoption, contract commercialing, similar to what I had seen at Adobe and experienced, 
where we are using these focused hubs to provide support to our CSMs in the field and what we call our CEEs. So I am 10 years almost through and through customer success in cloud. I am passionate about it and I wake up every day excited for the new and unpredictable challenges that will be waiting for me on the other end of the phone or the inbox. Congratulations on this remarkable career trajectory. So it's so interesting to hear about it and how life takes you in different directions. You had two acquisitions, right? You've been in two companies who were acquired by a global name, by a global brand, and then you had a chance to work with them in higher visibility. There is so many questions already that I want to ask you when it comes to your career. And one is that I'm really interested now You've been in startup environment for a few times and you've been in a such large global organization. And you might have noticed that in customer success, global communities, very often there is so much conversation about, oh, you should go into startup and lead a team and whatnot. And I always want to hear different opinions on what is so amazing about you working in a startup as a customer success and within the big global organization? So what are the opportunities and challenges and things that you really enjoy or maybe don't enjoy? Now I'm asking a lot, but I'm really interested in your perspective on these two different types of organizations. Yeah, it's a great question. And I will say very much like, in my opinion, the skills are transferable. But when it comes to startup, what I've really enjoyed about startup is working very closely with all the cross-functional teams. Being able to get up from my desk and walk 10 feet and talk to product or talk to engineering and be like, hey, do you guys think we can get that fix out this afternoon? Because it is really important. And I would buy you lunch if we could. Or being able to talk to the CEO and being like, hey, I have a great idea about how we can drive more demand gen for sales. Can I pitch it to you this Tuesday? What's exciting about the startup is you are agile, you bootstrap, you move quickly, you use all your resources in an agile manner. You can borrow resources from product or engineering and pre-sales and bring them into the post-sales engagement within a day or a week. And you can really feel that you have influence on the direction of the product roadmap and drive the direction of the business and your organization, which is awesome. And I also have really enjoyed at the startup, I felt I had a little bit more time to engage personally with my customers and really get to know them even in a management role and really truly understand their business. I just felt that the scope and complexity is a bit smaller So I could offer a higher value engagement to my customers, even when I was in leadership positions. And I would say on the other hand, the corporate experience has been that there is infinite resources. If you are used to bootstrapping and begging, borrowing resources, when you go to corporate and you find out all the organizations and all the teams, you can be very creative in what resources you pull in to support your customer. And maybe you're not walking 10 feet to ask for help, but you can pick up the phone and you can call anyone in the global organization any time of day, and you could find someone who could assist you. So that networking skill is transferable. I think at the corporate, I've just experienced that it's on a much broader scale. And maybe you need to put a little bit more diligence into maintaining that network long-term. I've also felt in the corporate scenario that your 
scope and opportunity is much larger. So you can learn a lot more in the corporate. There's a lot more complexity. There's a lot more layers to go through. That also means for your career path, there's probably exponential opportunities for growth and development and wearing different hats and getting different mentors, which have opened the doors open up. And also often the corporates have some educational programs around MBAs or additional learning, which I've also enjoyed throughout the years, adding more tools into the tool belt. And I would say the final differentiator with corporate has also been just with the companies I worked at, the complexity of the product suite. So instead of being in a startup where, again, I can have that depth of knowledge on one product, I could even demo the product. When I was at Adobe and SAP and we're covering multiple products, it's very hard to have that same level of depth. The same way it's hard to maybe prioritize the time to have that detailed engagement with as many customers So I feel that I've had to do a lot more the decision-making between quality and quantity, where in startup, I felt a bit more like I could do it all. This is wonderful and really detailed kind of perspective of both types of the organization. There's something interesting that you said, you need to put due diligence into maintaining networks and relationships. I think that's such an important topic, no matter in which type of organization you work, especially in customer success, you are constantly influencing other people and other departments to do something for the benefit of your customers. Well, what does it even mean in a practice, how to maintain those relationships, especially now when we are all remote? You can't go next door and say, can you do it by two o'clock afternoon and I'll buy you lunch because yeah, it doesn't work now. (laughs) So how would you do it? Yeah, it is true. The remote situation and the larger network can make it more complicated. So a couple of things I do, I actually do maintain a Excel spreadsheet of some of my network. It might have on there different people in the organization. It might have my mentors on there. It might have my sponsors on there. And for me, it's just a handy reminder of maybe who's in my network, but it also gives me a point of reference to go back to. Maybe who is their manager if I need a quick reminder. I also track how many touch points. A mentor of mine once said that you need nine touch points with someone for them to remember you. So if you connected over the phone with someone from support three times and asked for help, chances are they won't remember you when you call the fourth time. I like to keep a tally of how many times I've interacted. And it can even be that they helped you on an escalation. And then that's point one. And then day two, you went back and thanked them. And that's your second point. And I also make a little note around some of the personal elements for different people. Whether they mentioned that they were talking to me on the phone when they were walking their dog or that their daughter, they were planning a birthday party. I do try to make an effort to make a note next to their name. So the next time I reach out to them, I can have an anchor or a reminder on how to build that personal relationship beyond just the business talk. So I will say I'm not always perfect in being methodical, but I try to put a little effort into putting a reminder in place for me which I have found helpful. And I want to also encourage that appreciation is like a muscle. The more you use it, the stronger it gets. And it doesn't go unnoticed, especially in the CSM role, when we are asking people for help constantly outside of their standard KPIs and scope, 
I try to make a really good effort to go back and thank people via email and even better if I can put in a quick phone call or even a text message to them so that they know I have appreciated the time they took out of their day. And I always say people aren't going to remember what you said or what you did. They're going to remember how you made them feel. So I try to keep in mind, if you want people to take your phone call, if you want people to remember you in their network, remember that it is important, regardless of how difficult the situation is and how much we might have to push each other to resolve the issues in the interest of the customer, it is important how you make others feel and to try to be as respectful and collaborative and appreciative during that engagement together. Alison, this is goal. This is of course, one of the reasons that you have such a successful career, and I want to unpack it a bit more. This is amazing. So you are keeping a spreadsheet of all the people that you are working with, people that you are coming across on a regular basis. Wow, that's super cool. It's basically having your own CRM. Thanks for sharing what do you put in that spreadsheet. It's really such a testament on what return on relationship you can have in your career throughout the years. You mentioned you put their mentors and sponsors and other colleagues you are constantly working with. Can you tell me more about those mentors and sponsors? Who are they for you? How do you differentiate between the two? And what is the type of relationship you're having? I'm asking that because there is so much talk about Especially women need to find mentors and sponsors almost as a holy grail to help their careers. And it seems that you nailed it. You know who they are, how to identify them. So what would be your tips into finding your mentors and sponsors? Okay, and I'll even take it one step further. I want to add in the coaches or executive coaches. Okay, so your coach or your executive coach is someone who doesn't have to have domain expertise. And their purpose is to provoke interesting and progressive and diverse thoughts in you by asking challenging, open-ended questions. I can have the same executive coach if I'm a lawyer, if I'm a doctor, if I'm in software, or if I'm a conductor of a train. The executive coach should be skilled and knowledgeable in asking the right types of questions to progress your thought the ideas that you have the answers within and you know your domain and the situation better than anyone else. And if they can ask the right questions, that can lead you on the discovery of what is the best option for you to take forward. Some executive coaches also have an extreme amount of knowledge in business and communication and personalities and can also offer advice on these areas. But that is essentially the role of a coach from my experience. And throughout my career, when I've had big career changes, I have gotten an executive coach to work with me. And I often bring my day-to-day challenges to the coach and they help me work through them, whatever they might be. And that is usually someone that you bring in outside of your organization, right? I do personally try to. There are many organizations that will have a coach within there or someone who could be certified. But in my experience, I do like having an external party. They are neutral. They are unbiased. And they also become a very safe place for me to be my most vulnerable self on any moment, on any given day. Amazing. Great tips. When you're working with the executive coach, obviously, it's a two-way relationship and it's great to have someone with the ability to ask questions that you need in those moments. But how do you also 
prepare for those sessions, you're coming with the problems. Is there something that you feel is particularly important for your development when you're working with a coach? What would that be? Great points. Number one, I would say in most situations, the coach has asked me to complete a personality assessment early on in our engagement. And I think that in most situations, that's very beneficial because they can really advise you based on your strengths and characteristics and shadows. So hopefully the coach would look to do that. I would definitely recommend it. I have often sent the coach some pre-work even a day ahead of time to say, hey, this is the problems that are on my mind. And here's some background for you. This is the org structure. These are the people. This is the nuance. And I think that that is helpful sometimes so they can formulate an idea before you get in the room, maybe not necessary. And I also have tried to identify what the coach is particularly good in as well. One of my coaches has been exceptional in teaching how to have excellent people relationships, how to show empathy. And I really did try to funnel topics that were related to the people and to that coach to get the best out of them. So those could be three tips I might recommend. And make sure that you interview coaches and you find someone who gels with your personality and you feel that you have a connection with them because for the coaching to be effective, you need to feel comfortable being open and vulnerable. And the sooner you can get to a place where you feel open and vulnerable, the more productive the coaching can be. Amazing tips. Would you say there is a particular moment in everyone's career when they should have an executive coach or no matter of the stage of their career, the time should be now? How did it work for you? I love this question. Okay. I feel like in the future, we will see more and more that having coaches is like going to the dentist. They recommend you go once every six months, but if you want to go once a year, that's good too. If you skip it for five years, you might have some cavities. So I would say when I have had big career changes, that's when I have chosen to go and get a coach. And I often choose to do it as soon as the career change happens. And where I have put it off for a month or three months, it's almost like all the stress piles up. And then when I get to the coach, I'm like, oh my gosh, finally, I have so much to catch you up on. Where have you been? And so I think that's beneficial. I think another time that's good to get executive coach can also be when you're having personal life changes. For us to be our best selves at work, we need to be our best selves at home. Maybe it feels like maintenance, or maybe it's similar to having a therapist or a psychologist, But I have also found that when I'm having large life changes, it was really helpful to have an executive coach for my outlet. And a great executive coach will coach you as a holistic person. And I've gone into many coaching sessions with my full agenda about all my work-related topics. And my coach has spent 75% of the time talking about my personal topics that I didn't even know I wanted to talk about. So I would also say generally life changes and transitions can be a beneficial time. Wow, so many amazing tips about coaches. I guess my last question for coaches, okay, when you make that career move, would you recommend working with coaches when you want to make a career move so much in advance or as you are working with them, those ideas about new career appear? 
Yeah, that's a good point. And there are career coaches out there. There's all types of coaches, executive coaches, personal coaches, career coaches, and you might find that many of them have transferable skills. They could be called a career coach, but their approach works just as well for personal life coaching. But yes, I do think that, again, looking for a new career can be a big transitional period and the exploration that you can do with a coach, whether it's a career coach or executive coach or personal coach can be a really nice way for you to explore more about what's important to you. Take time to reevaluate your personality, what careers could be suited. And I've even done before with a coach, the Myers-Briggs personality assessment. And the Myers-Briggs also has a recommendation of what careers your personality is suited for, which can be a really nice way to either set a new goal or remind yourself of the direction that you're going in. Wonderful. Thank you so much for this mini masterclass on executive coaching. Let's move on to mentors and sponsors. For me, that's really interesting how you identify the two. So what would you say, how do you find them? For mentors, mentor is someone that you approach, in my opinion, with a specific goal or outcome, and they have a domain expertise and experience in that topic. For instance, when I interviewed for a role recently, when I finished the interviews, I asked them, what are one or two areas that you think I can improve in? And they said, financial acumen and global relationships with key stakeholders and leaders. And so following that, I approached our CFO and I said, I have a development area around financial acumen. Can you help mentor me on this topic? So with mentoring, I think you can approach it a couple of ways with what topic you want to develop on. You might know directly who you want to go to, to get mentoring on that topic, or you could use your network to ask, Hey, can you recommend people who are great at people, leadership and development, who are great at building strategic business plans, who are great at building networks. So first you want to identify your topic. Then you want to identify people who are excellent at that topic and have experience. And then you can either approach them very directly and ask for their time. And as the mentee, you should recommend the scope, the topics. You should bring a lot of effort and follow-up to the meeting, which we'll talk about. Alternatively, like building friends or courting a new partner, you can also start with a softer approach. You can reach out to them and ask for 15 minutes to interview them on their career. You can ask for 15 minutes to get their feedback on a project you're working on that is related to their domain expertise. So you can use some softer approaches. And if you use a softer approach, I would recommend that you always end the meeting with an opener to get you back in. So for instance, if I was working with the CFO and I was using a softer approach and I said, hey, Mr. CFO, can I get 15 minutes with you to run you through my financial plan and get your feedback? And then they run me through the financial plan and they give me their feedback. And then I would say, hey, thanks very much for your time. I'm going to make these changes and then present it to so-and-so. If it's okay, I'll reach out to you afterwards and let you know how it goes. Or thanks, your time has been so valuable today. Next month when we're doing headcount planning, if it would be okay, I would love to reach out and also run you through my headcount planning approach. So try to leave yourself an opener to get back in there so that they're expecting you to reach out. And you can also read their response 
and always follow up with the actions you took and what happened. So if they gave you feedback on the model and you presented the model to someone, make sure you call them up after the meeting or you email and say, hey, CFO, thank you so much for your feedback. I did the presentation and this is how it went. Or I did the presentation and I'm going to be honest, I made a couple of huge mistakes, A, B, and C. Would love to get 15 minutes with you to discuss how I could have presented that better. So it is really amazing how you just make sure that you're planning every step on the way in that mentorship relationship and that you're following up almost like with your customers, right? It's such an important thing to do. And am I right to think that for you, it worked well when you had mentors within your organizations because you're coming to them with the topics you're working on? Or did you sometimes find mentors outside also who were just experts in, in that field? This is a great topic. So my mentors list includes people in the organization and outside the organization. And it goes all the way back to eight years ago, probably more 10 years ago, my first job out of college. And once you have a mentor and you have built that relationship and rapport, it's also a great option for you to maintain that relationship. Whether they leave the organization or you leave the organization, they probably still have a lot of domain experience. And the other thing that you'll see if you maintain that relationship long-term is that you also build bi-directional mentee mentorship, where even though you started as the mentee, some topic might come up in two years or three years, and your mentor might call you for advice. And at that point in time, you have the opportunity to give them value back and explain to them what TikTok is or explain to them the intricacies of customer success. So I would encourage you that these are lifelong relationships. I will say I go through ebbs and flows. But for instance, when I got this feedback about the financial acumen, before I contacted the CFO, I reached out to one of my old mentors who used to work at Dolce Bank, and he's a certified CPA out of accounting. And I said, I'm about to meet with this CFO next week. And I'm trying to build this knowledge. Can you brief me and get me up to speed on some of the things I should be considering so I can have a more robust meeting with the CFO? I would say they're lifelong. And to have the variety of internal and external will give you a lot more versatility and guidance when you need it. Excellent. As you have the acumen of all of these mentors throughout the years, what is your tip on keeping in touch or keeping that relationship, especially with people whom you may not have contact with for eight years? What are some good ways to reach out to maintain that relationship? Because you never know what happens in the future and when each of you might need each other. This is a great point. And honestly, it's something I do, but I don't do well enough. So this is where the spreadsheet comes in handy because the memory is not as good as a CRM or an Excel. So I do try to pull up the spreadsheet once or twice a year and I go through the spreadsheet and I look at my mentors and I say, have I reached out to them? What were the notes I put last time about some personal item? Do I reach out about the personal item or I reach out about some piece of work or like a good friend, you just reach out and say hello. I also try to make a good effort whenever I get a new role to call my mentors and thank them. Even if I haven't talked to them in eight years or three years, the reason you are where you are is because eight years ago, the mentor taught you how to use Excel, even though you had the job you hated and you never wanted to use Excel. 
And today you probably use that skill every day. And if the mentor hadn't helped, you probably wouldn't be here. So I try to remind myself that it is important to take the time and thank them. And if you want to be a really grade A student, you can go on one of these websites like Cardly or something, and you can actually set up cards to email to your mentor once a year on the birthday or on Christmas. And you set it up, you get their address, you get the dates, and you go in once a year and you program them all and they will run. And those little thoughtful gestures, especially now that we're not traveling and we're not in town and I can't pick up the phone and say, hey, I'm in town. Do you want to grab a bite to eat? Those are some ideas you could use. But again, like you said, it's just like building a customer relationship. So all the same activities our audience uses as CSMs, they will work with your mentor. It's incredible to hear your thought process about building that relationship acumen because it does take time, but the return that you have had on all of these relationships, I could imagine, is immense. Yes, and I have my mentors to thank and my executive coaches for teaching me all of these things. And Alison, let's finish up with the sponsors. So how do you differentiate between mentors? You taught us already, you go to them for particular topics. So who are the sponsors? This is one I think gets a lot of people. What is a sponsor? The way that I define a sponsor is if they pick up the phone and they say, hey, Jen, I'm calling because I'm looking at hiring Allison Skidmore. What do you think about her? If you have a sponsor, they will say, Allison Skidmore, she is great. Let me tell you about the time that I've talked to Allison Skidmore and what I think. They are a person who knows you personally and they know you well enough to give a recommendation about you. And hopefully the recommendation is positive. And the reason that they're in the spreadsheet is because, especially if you're mapping career transitions, you don't have the luxury usually of knowing what role you're going to want and when you're going to want it and who might be in the network of the person hiring for it. So you don't know that you need a sponsor until you need one, and then it's too late to build a sponsor. So for instance, a couple of years ago, I was thinking to myself, oh, I might like to get into a COO role sometime. That would be an interesting career progression. So I actually started to build out sponsors who were COOs or reported to COOs. Because then if I wanted to get into the COO network, if they called some of these people, or if I wanted coaching or mentoring, these people would be a good network. But my primary objective was not to have them coach or mentor me. It was to build a relationship and rapport, to stay in contact with them on a regular basis and demonstrate my best self and projects I was working on or activity I was doing. And I want to make a very important note. We've talked about the coach, the mentor, and the sponsor. And I will say that I am most vulnerable and open with my coach. And with my mentor, I am moderately vulnerable and open because the mentor will also act as a sponsor in certain situations. And I do want to put my best self forward so that they can see my capabilities. And with a sponsor, I want to put my best, best self forward because they're seeing a limited experience of you. And therefore, you want them to have the best understanding. And I'm not saying to be unauthentic. You need to be yourself. You need to be authentic. But I do choose my audience for where I take particular topics. 
that's essentially the sponsors. And I just try to stay in regular contact with them like a friend. And like I said, sharing particular work I'm doing or items that could be interesting or relevant so that if they are asked for their opinion, they have an opinion. And your sponsor could be as easy as your colleague, your coworker that you sit next to. That can be a sponsor. So I don't think you need to overthink it. And I don't think you need to pick up the phone and be like, hey, Jen, I just wanted to check. Are you one of my sponsors? If you ask Jen to do something for you, like, hey, Jen, I applied for this role. Can you make a recommendation to the boss because you know them? You'll find out pretty quickly what Jen thinks and if she's a sponsor or not. That is actually a great point. So it's really important to know that you are building your sponsors or the network of your sponsors every single day throughout all the activities that you're doing. And it's not the official phone call that you're actually asking someone, hey, I have this to talk to you about. Can you be my sponsor on this topic, right? (laughs) So you just make sure that you're great with everybody and that people will have those great words about you because you've been working on something together. Yes, you got it. Alison, I have a last question for you. Thinking about your amazing career trajectory so far, it seems that you really put lots of thoughts and efforts into building that acumen on relationships. A part of that, would you have a few other tips of what is really important when you are progressing your career that you would like to share with the audience? Yes, and I want to share one more on the relationships while we're on the topic. This was something one of my mentors has told me that a bad relationship is like a wound, like a cut. You need to go back to it and you need to tend to it often. So I wanna also encourage our audience that it's easy to have mentors and sponsors and coaches that are like you and that think like you and that act like you. And I would encourage you, one of my favorite mentors is nothing like me. He intimidates me. He used to really scare me. And the first meeting I had with him, I remember that I was thinking to myself, I never want to have a meeting with this guy again. That was horrible. (laughs) It's the worst meeting I've had in ages. And my other mentor like gave me this tip. And I think it is important that you have diverse people in your network, diverse thoughts. And if you can't build the skill of working with someone challenging or someone you disagree with in your mentor network, you will struggle to do it day to day. So challenge yourself and stretch yourself to find someone that intimidates you or makes you nervous or has skills that you wouldn't even think of developing and see how you can build them into your network. Because I think that is a true test of having a diverse network. Wonderful. I'm so grateful for this mini masterclass today, Alison. Thank you so much for coming to the show. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening. Next week, new episode. Have a great day and talk to you soon.